This is Gaining Christ Audio, a ministry designed to teach the absolute truth of God from the Bible so that you may grow in your knowledge of God and your confidence, satisfaction, and faithfulness in Him, or so that you will hear the true gospel, come to genuine faith in Christ Jesus, and be saved if you are not already. Welcome and thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we will discuss the role of repentance for the person who is saved, the new creation in Christ, specifically highlighting what is the purpose and the power and resulting benefits of repentance for the believer in his or her walk with Christ. In our previous episode, we discussed true repentance that leads to salvation. The repentance for a sinner who is guilty of sin, separated from God, spiritually dead, the repentance that leads them into an awareness of sin, conviction of sin, confession of sin to God, a turning away from sin, a genuine embrace of Christ Jesus for forgiveness and righteousness and new life, and into a life of God-pleasing holiness for the purpose of eternal life, salvation, forgiveness of sins, and security with God forever. In this podcast, we will now discuss the repentance for the believer in Christ. The What is repentance? What does it look like? What is the purpose and the power and the resulting benefits of repentance for the believer the saved man or woman in Christ. Before we answer that, we want to cover a few foundational truths about God's gospel of salvation. When a sinner, an unsaved sinner, truly repents and embraces Christ Jesus, that person is, number one, completely forgiven of all of your sins by God, all of them. Jesus Christ in his one-time sacrifice on the cross has paid forever for all of your sins. You are justified by God, meaning you are counted righteous by God because God has accredited you with the righteousness of Jesus. You are reconciled to God. Before you were saved, you were living a spiritual dead life in disobedience to God, enslaved to your sin. You could not do good, and you were living as an enemy of God, and God has in Christ reconciled you, brought you into harmonious relationship with himself, and you are saved. You are saved from the penalty of sin, which is namely the future wrath of God that is coming on those who are guilty of sin, who reject the gospel and the hope of salvation. And you are also saved from the power of sin, the slavery of sin and the control and mastery that it had over you and the darkness that reigned over you and owned you. You have been set free and saved from these horrible predicaments. And you have eternal life. 
the gift of living forever in spiritual life, knowing God, starting now in favor with God that climaxes into an impersonal presence, glorification with God in the kingdom of heaven. And you are spiritually alive as the Bible describes you. You are a new creation in Christ with a new heart and a new nature for walking in holiness, for growing in knowledge of God and serving his purposes. Praise the Lord. But there still remains a significant problem for every person who is born again, saved in a new creation in Christ. And that problem is that you and I, are not perfect. (laughs) We still have the capacity to sin. Even though we have been set free from the bondage of sin, we're no longer a slave of sin. And as the Bible says in Romans 6 and other places, we are slaves of righteousness, literally. That is our desire in nature. We still live in a broken world. We still have broken flesh that has influence on us, and we're susceptible and vulnerable to sin. And as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 4, to the believer, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood like Jesus did who lived a perfect life. So fight against sin, but it is a struggle. And we will, unfortunately, from time to time, fall and, 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 and succumb to sin. So the question is, what happens then? When a born-again, new creation, believer in Christ sins, if his repentance as he or she is coming to Christ yields for them salvation, eternal life, reconciliation with God, and eternal security with God, what happens when a believer sins? Does he or she, do you or I lose our salvation or part of our salvation where we need to somehow be resaved? resaved? Absolutely not. The believer in Christ cannot lose his or her salvation. It is a gift of God. You are saved and secured and changed by God, and you cannot lose your salvation if you're truly saved by God. Do you lose your eternal life, some people think? That you have eternal life, and when you sin, you go back to some state of eternal death or some in-between state. That is not the gospel. When Jesus gives you eternal life, you have eternal life. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. They hear my voice. They follow me, and I give them eternal life, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. They will not perish. John chapter 10, verse 27. Eternal life means just that. You are now a reborn, reconciled to God, living forever, Knowing God, relationship with God, climaxing in the kingdom of heaven. You cannot lose it when you sin. But does God get angry with me when I sin? Many, actually most people, I believe, assume that God gets angry with the believer when we sin. The good news of the gospel. 
because God was pleased to crush his son on the cross, Isaiah 53.10, and leaving God propitiated, meaning the wrath of God, the anger of God was poured out on Christ on the cross, leaving us without receiving his anger at any time, even if we sin again. The full sacrifice of Christ Jesus and what happened to him on the cross pays your penalty and satisfies and pours out God's anger. God is not angry with you. In fact, the opposite, he constantly loves you. And in love, he may discipline you and deal with you in your sin, as we'll see later, but he is never angry with you. So therefore, you do not need to do some religious exercise or prescription or some jump through some hoop to get God happy with you again, as if the gospel says that salvation is Jesus Christ plus your religious works equals salvation. That is not the gospel. God is never angry with you. He loves you permanently. And you're not separated from God, as some people may think. When a believer sins, he or she is not separated from God and then left up to some religious act to restore that relationship. Jesus Christ lives in you. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is in you. He doesn't leave you and jump back in you. You're permanently reconciled to God. You're possessed by God. Praise the Lord. And you do not need to do something to recapture your righteousness that God gave you when he saved you because you sin and somehow uh, break away or break off part of your righteousness or take it away, leaving you unrighteous, now leaving you with some religious activity to re-justify yourself, which is not even in the Bible because it's impossible. When God declares you righteous, my friend, Please understand this. You are righteous indeed, not because of your good works or lack thereof, but because of Jesus's perfect merit credited to you, and God considers you righteous and right with him forever. This is the gospel. Since we have been justified by God's grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. This is the gospel. This is true. Praise the Lord. Well, if all of that is true, then what happens when a believer in Christ sins? If we don't lose our salvation or eternal life and we're never separated from God and we don't need to be re-justified and God is not angry with us, does anything happen when we sin? Well, absolutely things happen when we sin. Here's what happens when the believer in Christ sins. For starters, number one, God is dishonored. God is offended. He's not angry. He will not be angry with you because his anger was fully poured out on Christ, leaving him propitiated, but he is dishonored, and he does not like that. Number two, the Spirit is grieved. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, is grieved over our sin. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is with us permanently. So whenever we're engaged in sin, he is engaged also, not personally, but he is there. And he is holy, 
and he loves God's holiness, and he wants you to be holy, and he's been given to you by God to sanctify you and keep you holy. And when we sin, he personally is grieved because he is a person with emotions. Thirdly, when the believer in Christ sins, as Peter writes, there's some kind of harmful or hurtful impact upon our soul. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter writes, Beloved, believers, I urge you as strangers and aliens in this world, because we now are citizens in heaven, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. There's something about sin and the appetite and the temptation and the passions of the flesh and the engagement in these sinful activities that have some kind of impact and hurt on our very own soul. And fourthly, sin in the believer's life will spiritually hinder us. It will slow our growth, our spiritual growth. It will remove power and favor from God. It will eliminate, temporarily at least, until this gets uh, corrected, uh, our peace and our joy. And it will even hinder God in answering prayers. First Peter chapter 3. And fifthly, sin in the believer's life will weaken his or her witness. Because of the impact that it has internally, but visibly in front of the world, if you're living in sin or have sin in your life, your credibility with others is shaken, and they will not trust you or will not believe the power of the gospel that you're telling to them. You may lose your credibility altogether. So what should we do if this is the impact of sin in the believer's life, which is brutal? It's not permanent, lose salvation damage, but it is brutal damage nonetheless. And if it doesn't change, then it really gets bad. We'll talk about that in a moment. What should we do? Well, the answer is do what God and his loving grace has given us to do, is repent. The beautiful gift of repentance. Again, not to regain or recapture our salvation, eternal life, or or our relationship with God. But to acknowledge sin, it's offense against God, puke that sin out, turn from our sin, and grow in Christ and live more faithfully in God's ways for His glory. God's number one agenda for you and me as a believer in Christ is to do our give us our very best in this world. And the very best for you and me is to grow us and mature us more and more into the likeness of the perfect man, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in holiness and faithfulness and humility and grace and sacrifice and faith and service to God. And when we sin, We radically disrupt that opportunity in reality, not permanently, but disrupt it. So God in his loving grace has given us the the gift of repentance to his children to mature us and sanctify us and protect us even through this life as we walk with Christ.
So what does repentance for the saved, born-again believer in Christ look like? Well, it's actually not that dissimilar from the repentance for us when we were actually getting saved, but there are different aspects to it and different results. And the, and the repentance for the believer is beautifully illustrated in the repentance of King David written in Psalm 51 after he was convicted of his own sin, a horrible sin. As you probably know, King David was the ruler of Israel. His armies were out. He was at home. There was a woman who he found attractive who lived below him. Her husband, Uriah, was one of David's soldiers fighting in the battle. David sees her, apparently gets full of lust and some desires. Maybe he thought that he could just hang out with her and have a casual dinner and talk politics and just leave it at that and just be enamored by her beauty. But she comes over, the weaknesses take over, and he and her commit adultery with one another, and then she becomes pregnant. David, in an attempt to cover up his sin, invites her husband to come home from the weekend from battle, thinking that he will go into the house and, of course, have sexual relationships with his wife. But Uriah, being an honorable man, refused to go inside while his friends were fighting in battle. So then David goes to plan B, which is to put the man on the front line and eventually be killed. Adultery, deception, dishonesty, and murder. Pretty wicked. And David has a moment of repentance as a believer, as a saved man. In fact, the psalm itself proves that David at this moment in his life was a saved man by God and a believer in the coming Messiah, Christ Jesus. And listen to these beautiful powerful words of this man after (laughs) he is convicted of his sin. Nathan the prophet is sent by God to go to David, and you can read this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, which is the chapter after the sin we just mentioned, and Nathan has a conversation, and David now is fully aware of his sin and that God is aware and not happy. He's displeased, of course. And listen to David repent in this Psalm 51. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, which is chesed in Hebrew, another word for grace. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, O Lord, you only have I sinned. Not that he did not sin against Bathsheba or her family and husband, but predominantly so much so against the Lord, he expresses it this way. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, O Lord, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, acknowledging the fall and the sin corruption of Adam and Eve, passing through the generations, infecting his own parents, and then infecting him in his own conception. Verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth 
in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. A beautiful and thorough thorough example of repentance of a believer when he has or she has sinned. What is this process which David clearly goes through and illustrates for us? Well, it starts again with number one, the awareness of of our specific sin. The repentance for the believer to God, not to recapture salvation or eternal life, but to live as God wants us to and to be matured as we walk with Christ begins with a clear awareness of our specific sin. Just like David in verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And this is clear because Nathan has visited David and told him and made him aware of the sin. And David even says in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, I've sinned against the Lord. What I've done is bad. And the the subtitle of the psalm itself is David uh, repentance after being convicted due to sin with Bathsheba. David knew his specific sin. He's aware of his specific sin. Maybe like you, or you should be, or like me when I sin. Maybe you're struggling, my friend, with lust or pornography or dishonesty or anger or alcohol or drug dependency or stealing or worldliness or greediness or extreme jealousy and envy and insecurities. Be aware of your sin and go to God. Be aware of your sin. And as a result of this sin, true repentance, step two, has conviction over sin. David, verse four, against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Verse eight, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David is so convicted now of his sin that it feels as if God is literally breaking his bones. He's feeling physical, emotional, psychological pain due to the conviction from the awareness of his sin. And this is what God does in his loving grace. God does not get angry when we sin. God in his love will move towards us and discipline us when we sin. And this is what the writer of Hebrews testifies to in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 6. For the Lord disciplines those he loves 
and he chastises, meaning rebukes severely or punishes every son he receives. Not a punishment to make up for your sin. Jesus did that. But you will feel the rebuke and the discipline of God. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. So the conviction and pain and the broken bones that David was feeling was actually discipline from his loving father. Verse 10, for our earthly fathers discipline us for a short time as it seemed best for them, but God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, no doubt, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what God does is he comes in to the believer since we're walking contrary to his ways and he wants to mature us and protect us, that he makes us aware of our sin and convicts us of our sin, even to the point of extreme pain, which is good. But unfortunately, as is the case in the world and why people do not come to Christ through repentance for recovery and peace with God Even believers, unfortunately, will turn to other substances over repentance for the healing of their sadness, anxiety, fear, and pain that dominates them when, in fact, their sin is often, excuse me, their their pain and their depression is often caused by sin that they leave unrepented, and so therefore, to remove this pain fear, and anxiety, they turn to other substances to numb it, such as alcohol or drug use or denial or blame shifting or wanting to believe that the source of their pain and struggles internally is due to something else like their their children or their work or the pressures of their business or something, which those things are legitimate, but this will happen. Or they'll, or they'll turn to self-promotional acts to give themselves like a quick pick-me-up. Like if I can promote myself and receive some approval or validation from others, that'll make me self, myself feel better and take away some of this insecurity and pain that I'm feeling on the inside. When the solution is none of that, the solution for much pain in many believers is repentance of sin by the grace of God. Please come to God in repentance, because if we can't, The results are dreadful, as we'll see in a moment. But then true repentance for the believer starts with awareness and continues with conviction and then continues further with a godly sorrow over our sin, as David demonstrates clearly and experienced personally. Verse 4, against you, Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then look what he says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. The godly sorrow from our sin is a part of the genuine repentance of the believer to get this sin out. Again, as Paul writes in in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 
10 that worldly grief, worldly sorrow is not godly grief. And worldly shame and worldly grief, that is embarrassment and regret because you've been caught or may uh, uh, have some consequence in your world, is not the same as godly grief. It is godly grief that produces genuine repentance that leads to or is part of our salvation. Godly grief. The, the true believer loves God. The true believer wants to please God. The true believer wants to honor God. And the true believer knows he's called to honor God. And when we have sin or live in sin and we're convicted of it, we are broken because our sin is first and foremost against God and his holiness. And that brings us pain. And so that leads us to step four, a genuine confession of sin to God, just like David did. David says, verse 3, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Confession of sin to God is, is like our body responding to the flu virus, a stomach flu. What happens when we get the stomach flu? We vomit. We throw it up. This is not the flu causing us to vomit. This is God's master creative design work on the human body, building some mechanism that when a virus gets in you, your body reacts by vomiting it out to get it away. And confession of sin is like puking out a virus. It's acknowledging your sin directly to God, confessing your sin, and speaking it out to God, to God directly. Not to me, not to a priest, not to a pastor, religious guru, not to some statue, not to some person that you've never met that is no longer living, is directly to God. One of the things we must understand and the beautiful aspects about the gospel is that you and I have bold and confident fellowship and relationship and access to God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 in and through Christ, we have bold and confident access to God. Christ Jesus is our mediator. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 1 John, John writes, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, that Christ Jesus is our advocate with God. He is the gate. He is the way. He is the way to the Father. He is the way to God. When we confess our sins, we go to God. Is it good to discuss your sin with your friends and even religious leaders? Absolutely, for accountability and protection. But confession of sin is done directly to God. You go directly to God as a believer in Christ. You're reconciled to God. You're a friend of God. You're a son of God. And you have direct access to God, your Father, to God, Christ Jesus the King. Go to Him and confess your sin. And in your confession, step five, ask God for His grace to help you turn away from your sin, just like David. Verse one, have mercy on me. O oh God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 10, 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Here's David saying, Lord, I struggle with lust. I struggle for neediness. I struggle for attention. I feel I feel love through physical attraction or whatever it is. Help me, Lord. Get this out of me, Lord. Strengthen me. The grace of God. It is the grace of God that works in us. Live out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul writes, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, 11 and 12. Live out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. God is working in you. The grace of God is working in you. This is what Paul says to Titus in in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and following. For the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And Christ Jesus is purifying for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous to do good works. The grace of God is available. God is working in us. Ask God in your humble dependence of his grace to work in you and purge out the sin and your neediness that drives you to do the sin you do as part of our repentance. And then number six, the foundational aspect of repentance is turn away from that sin. Turn away from the sin. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David felt the pain of his salvation. This proves David was a saved man. He's not asking to restore his salvation. He's saying, God, because that does not need restoring. He's saying, restore the joy of your salvation. I don't feel the joy. I feel the pain. I want the joy. Change me. Turn me away. I want to feel the joy of your salvation. Turn away from the sin. My friend, my brother, if you are in Christ, you have the power of God in you to turn away from sin. It is a struggle, but you have the power. You have the grace. You are a new creation. You're not a slave of sin. You're capable of walking in holiness to the point you're a slave of righteousness. You're not a wretch. You can turn away. If you cannot turn away from your sin, it is horrible and dreadful. Listen to the warnings that God gives even to people claiming to be believers if we cannot turn away from sin. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent, non-repentant heart, you are storing wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but instead obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only the fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. If we cannot stop our sin, if we deliberately continue sinning because we think that we're incompetent and unable to repent and walk in holiness or whatever the excuse may be, and we continued for after hearing the truth, whether we think we're a believer or somehow are a believer, 
and and can't not walk in holiness, which is impossible. But the truth is, you're not really a believer. You will not experience the eternal joy of eternal life, but we should only expect the wrath of God. The writer says, Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist, starting in verse 8, preaching to the crowd. He tells the people, bear fruits with keeping with repentance. Even now, God's axe is laid at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If we are unable to walk in God's holiness by his grace, a new creation, a new natured heart he's given us, and we're not willing to fight against sin when the temptation is tough, I'm not saying we live perfectly. We can't live perfectly. But if we are caught in sin and we cannot stop a lifestyle of sin, then we're not walking in holiness and we're not a good tree and we will be cut down. And we read last time, and we'll emphasize again, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 9, or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and list sins that will disqualify people if they live in these sins from entering the kingdom of heaven and tells people, do not be deceived. My brother, sister, please, repentance is a turning away from sin. And God has given you and me in his loving grace, the power and the spirit and the ability and the new heart to turn away from our sin and to return to walking in God's holiness to please God as we walk in Christ. And the results of genuine repentance for the believer, which is a never-ending act, not that you're doing it daily, but it is a constant act as we move forward with God, a gift of His grace to keep us mature or mature us and protect us. The results are maturation in Christ, power with God, joy, peace, true peace on the inside, the elimination of depression and sadness sometimes, sometimes depression and sadness from other reasons and medical, but when it's true conviction, that goes away. Fruit in your labor and your ministry, security in your heart, security with God, and an honoring of God, glorifying of God, life, praise the Lord. What a beautiful gift God has given his people in repentance. Well, next week we will talk about the repentance and forgiveness and the restoration of friendships when we sin against one another. What do we do when we sin against one another? How do we bring and yield forgiveness and restoration of relationships according to a biblical model for the protection of our friendships and relationships in the body of Christ and even outside of the body of Christ? And we look forward to that message and being with you next time. Well, we thank you very much for listening and spread the word.